Welcome back to another episode of NFT Catcher Podcast. We'd like to remind everybody that nothing on the show is meant as financial advice, and to please do your own research. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Now the subject is NFT. They're known as non-fungible tokens, or NFT. NFTs are floating in popularity. This is a technology that will forever change the way people interact. So it is happening whether you understand it and like it or not. This phenomenon is you have now joined Jenny from the Blockchain and Michael Keane on the NFT Catcher Podcast. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the NFT Catcher Podcast with me, Jenny from the Blockchain, and my co-host, Michael Keane. For today's interview, we have a special guest, Akaitsa, joining us. Um, he is the Director of Curation and Artist Relations for Nifty Gateway and also the co-creator of Life of Muga. So, uh, Akaito, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I was really stoked when you sent the invitation over and I started listening to all your episodes. So, glad to be here. What? All of them? All of them? I I started. I started in between meetings. uh, I started to listen to to, to them. So, I'll I'll get down to to the very beginning. What was your favorite one? That's very nice of you to to check up on us. What was your favorite one that you listened to? I started, I mean... The good thing that I like about your podcast is you have a lot of variety, right? So if you're technical, you start picking out a few. I mean, I started looking at Budgie Penguins and I started looking at the other Michael K that joined. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I like to have a variety in the podcast, even if it's NFT related, to be uh, for technical audience, for not technical audience. So I honestly have been enjoying the variety of talks. Cool. Love it. Love it. Yes, thank you for that. So I want to start by hearing about your journey into the NFT space and, you know, kind of how you got into Web3. Well, that's going to be a a long story, so I'll keep it short. Joined crypto in 2013. I'm a technical person in my background, so it was more like, okay, is this PayPal? Is this something else? I like the fact that there were a lot of people like just playing with a phone. You you could buy Bitcoin via MoneyGram, I think. You would go to a CVS pharmacy or you would go into Walgreens and then via phone, you would you were, get a money order, order Bitcoin back then, or you could trade uh, peer-to-peer. It was it was crazy. And back then, it was it was a different crowd. You would you would get into like meetups because I was in San Francisco back then, and you would get like the anti-government, the, 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 the ones for the people. And you would get like the Really weird ones that wouldn't tell you your their names or what they did. They're, they're just silent. They're just like, okay, complete anonymity. And then you get people like me who are like uh, curious because of technology and just wanted to see what was there without really financial incentives. There were a few people there that were like more into like, okay, this could be big from a financial perspective. But nobody back then was like thinking about this from a, the perspective of making money. So anybody that made money in the early days, they were visionaries or they were fools because it was it's really hard to like dump a lot of money into like something that you don't know if it's going to pan out, but kudos to them. I mean, I, I know a few that ever since then they haven't worked and uh, worked out pretty well. So I stuck, I stuck around in the space uh, through bear cycles and, and bull cycles. And I, I knew this was for me. It was crazy back then, like the hacks, the the fights, the people that were there that now have like 200,000 followers and never been good at Twitter. So it's always like I, I knew that it was not going to grow my account. And I also was using a different account. Uh, versus my artist account. But anyways, fast forward to 2018, 2019, I started listening to people talking about NFTs and I'm like, that, that kind of makes sense, but why, why would I want to buy something that's intangible? Like, it, And I started looking at IP, which is something that I was 
I was creating my uh, my own patents back then for my previous company. So I'm like, okay, that's an intangible asset. So that's that makes sense. When it clicked for me, is like, okay, what what else is a smart contract? And the most basic thing that I could think of, and this was Antonopoulos was talking about that, is like, okay, your vending machine is a, is a smart contract in the sense that uh, it's a set of orders that are pre-programmed in. So you basically say, okay, if somebody's going to uh, click on a Sprite or a Coke, it's going to be $1 or whatever the Coke or Sprite is right now in a vending machine. And as long as those conditions are met, you get a Coke. Or you get a sprite. So that's that's a smart contract. The sort of uh, conditions that are people are going to then whoever uh, meets those conditions will get the actual. So I'm like, okay, that that makes a lot of sense. And there was a conference in 2019 that I thought it was very pivotal uh, to like this space and in, in particular, it was a Bitcoin conference in San Francisco. I was talking to an artist by the name of Trevor Jones that was flying from from Scotland. I don't know what Trevor is going to allow me to say. So I'm sorry, Trevor, in advance if you listen to this and this, so, some of it was like alpha or whatever or more memories between you and I, but I'll, I'll tell him anyways. Uh, he was like basically saying, I, I need to buy or I need to be able to sell one artwork, uh, one print or one physical painting to make the trip possible. And I'm like, let's do it. Like, I'll pick you up in San Francisco. I'll help you. Like, And then we get to the to the conference. At this point, I, was, I had nothing to do with art. And they put Trevor next to the restrooms. Like it was like four uh, wall next to the restroom where people were basically peeing and then just making a ride. And like they would run into a painting of Trevor. Uh, first day, nothing happened. Uh, so it was more us talking to other artists. So there was this other artist by the name of Josie Pellini. There was Crypto Graffiti. Uh, Lucha Pelletti was not there, but his work was there. This other dude called Coldy also was there talking big talk about art and stuff. But it was, this was the early days. Um, Josie was selling our work for $2,000 and I thought it was super expensive. I should have bought it back then. It was a very small group of artists and people that really trying. It was no, there was no prominence in terms of the art in these conferences. So we started talking and Coley was talking about the, the metaverse and virtual worlds. And I'm like, what the heck is this? Right. So we ended up talking for the rest of the conference. I think there are days, a lot of sales started to happen. And I'm like, okay, there's something here. So the takeaway back then was that let, let's do a podcast. Let's do something to talk about what, what this is, and let's see if we can make something out of it. So quickly, Trevor flew back to Scotland. We recorded the first episode. Coley hit me up without knowing it was me until later. He had realized it was me. I'm like, yeah, we talk about doing a podcast. He joined the podcast, and things took off. Uh, I think I recorded like nine or ten episodes. Um, I think it released eight or nine, but- What was it called? Sorry. Curating ten. Crypto. Curating Crypto. So you can still find- I think on Instagram still there. The recordings are still there on um, uh, Spotify. Uh, creating crypto is called editing was a lot. So one of the things for me is like I always have like multiple jobs, and multiple projects, and it was just like way too much. So, uh, but after that, there were a couple of other podcasts popping up, and I'm like, okay, I've done my my share of bringing this up, and sure enough, it blew up, and um, that's when Super Rare was kind of starting. I want to say, and John and and the Johns and, and on Super Rare can. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I think it was the first purchase of $100 on Superware, and it was a big deal. Like I, I bought like four artworks for $100 each, and it was it was a Telegram channel. People were going nuts about it. I remember Mattia Coutini, which was one of the early artists there. Uh, I went to his website, and the big uh, orange banner said, "Got over $7,000 in sales on Superware." Like that was like a big deal. For reference, this this is uh, you said late 2019. Now is that where we're at? I want to say so. That's about okay. late 2019. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Keep going. I just want to make sure for reference. Awesome. Keep going. Yeah. So it's uh, it was incredible. Like I, I, I've always done art, more graffiti than anything else, but then I, I did, did a lot of illustrations. Uh, 
Somebody can probably research with my illustrations that I've done in the past, but I wanted to try a new medium. So 3D was completely new to me, and it was something that I didn't master. And I said, okay, this is a new uh, a new opportunity. Let's try 3D. And I started playing with different things, and schools happened, and that's how people ended up knowing me uh, for my schools, I think, on Nifty Gateway. And that that was already when things really started to kick off on, on, um, on NFT sales. You would get people selling a million, a million and a half, like buying houses off of this. I remember my, I think it was my second drop. I made $140,000 with three artworks. And I was like, wow, I did really poorly on this one. So it puts things into perspective. Obviously, you could tell that it was not sustainable, but it was like the euphoria. And the fact that people were excited about our art was like super, super cool for me. And then all these people that I'd met back then in 2019, they're massive. They they made it big and they made a bet on on sticking in the, with the space and really dedicating full time and uh, they're, they're they're doing fantastic now. That's dope. I think Michael has a question, but I also wanted to ask, because you said 2013, you got into crypto, which I would say you're definitely one of our earlier, one of our earliest guests that got into crypto, like 2013. I don't remember. I don't even remember the last person that said that early. Were there any, I'm curious if there are any like favorite YouTubers that you watched like at that time? No, oh, there were no YouTubers. I mean, there were a couple really? of like, I ran on tech. There were a few that you could tell they were uh, they were really into it and also like promoting their own stuff. Uh, there were a couple of guys that ended up like sponsoring me on a couple of episodes. Uh, FOMO Hunt was there. Um, who was there? There were like all the early people were like trying to sell you something or trying to uh, partner with, with these uh, companies. It was interesting. But like back in 2013, I mean, I was buying, a th- uh, sorry, not Ethereum, but I was buying Bitcoin at $300 per Bitcoin. Um, yeah. And when Ethereum came out, I'm like, it's too expensive at $15, so it was $12, something like that. It made more sense to buy Litecoin because it was $5. Like, we didn't know what we were doing. Like, it was, and like I said, nobody was treating this as a sound investment because what happened is it was Bitcoin first. And there were a couple of like small coins that came out, I think Dragon Chain, or there were a few others before uh, Charlie Lee came out with Litecoin and then it exploded. Like, you had hundreds of coins and people were just buying for, for fear of missing out. So it was a crazy time back then. So I enjoyed it. Uh, now it's a little bit more stable, but you, I mean, with, with all comparing to any other industry, this is still the wild west. hundred percent. I also wanted to mention um, Trevor Jones, you brought him up. Uh, I actually had him on one of my panels at VCon. Actually the last two VCons, he was on one of my panels. So that's, that was cool that you mentioned him and yeah, he was super early in, in crypto as well. So yeah, that's cool. I, I still have in my garage, uh, obviously I moved from San Francisco to Southern California, but I, in my garage, I have from that conference, all the prints from that Trevor took to San Francisco because he didn't want to carry him back. So I've never opened that box since <laughs> 2019. Oh, wow. And we've talked about it in the past where he's like, oh, just keep him. And then all of a sudden he's like, no, just keep one, send me the other. I'm like, dude, like it's yours. It's there in my garage. <laughs> Whenever you come to, to Southern California, you open it and let's see what we find out. Because literally he just took him from the wall, put him in there. Obviously not every artwork was on the wall. So there may be some really cool ones out there. Oh, wow. wow. That's and then the next boom. Neat. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You're good. I was going to say, and the next, the next big boom happened. And I think that's when you, Jen, came over because- Top Shots happened. And, and I think Top Shots was, I was in the early days, by the way, I tend not to go to conferences and not to events. I did this about showing my face is fairly new. Um, and it was more because I still didn't want understand what I wanted to do. Now I think there's some stage of maturity where people are actually showing their faces and their names. And it's 
Uh, if you're somebody in, in crypto or in NFTs, it's probably better to do that, I would say. I don't know. The pod doesn't do that, right? So it's, it's, um, I felt more comfortable. So I'll be more open to like participating in events and panels and stuff like that. That's one of the reasons why a lot of people don't know me. The other reason is because with, with the kites, uh, I wanted to reach a specific goal in mind that I had in mind. Once I reached that goal, I had like a collaboration with like 21 artists on Nifty Gateway, super talented. Everybody was like incredibly talented, uh, leaps ahead of me. So I was super stoked that they created like their own version of my school. And I ended up giving a reward that it was called It's a Wrap. And I, It's a Wrap meant that I was done with schools. Like I may do a school later in my life, but it was a medium that was good. It, it keeps you focused because you can only do so much. You can put patterns and, and stuff like that. But I was ready to do something else. And after that, I think I took a two-year hiatus from the Kaito brand. And that's when everything uh, took off. So a lot of the people that are new to the space know nothing about me, which I kind of liked to some degree. But recently, I, I created a project on FTG that it was AI-related because I was had early conversations with David from Midjourney, trying to figure out like how, how can we we uh, how can he monetize this? Talking through the uh, technology and stuff like that. And these were the early days of Midjourney, so I started playing with. I, I think I invited Brian Brinkman to play with Midjourney, and he was like, we were both like fascinated, but the results were like really basic. Like you could tell, and you're like, okay, it's this new technology. We had a, a reference point of reference in, in GAN. Uh, so we didn't have high expectations and like two iterations of Midjourney later, it looks incredible. Uh, now it's like 5.2 that's out. I created a project on FT Gateway. It was a, like, it was my return as an artist as a Kaitsa. So I was minting Muga by, uh, by then. And I think it sold out in like 30 seconds. It was just like different variations of circles. Uh, I think you, if you go to Nifty and type explorations by Kaitsa or something like that, you'll see it's just like, uh, black and white, uh, squares. And, um, it was, it was good, but, um, what I was going to say is that the next boom of, of uh, NFTs happened with Top Shots, I, I would say. And that's when I saw you and I saw your sister. And, and I, it was also early days of Top Shots. We, we were invited to like Zoom meetings to like talk about the project. Same, same thing happened with uh, UFC, like one-on-one conversation as to how are you going to invest, how much you're going to invest. And you were talking to Rohan, you were talking to everybody in that team. I want to say put like a couple of thousand dollars and then all of a sudden I have like $4 million in like uh, the NBA top shots, uh, uh, net worth or whatever. And it quickly went up and it quickly went down. I, I don't think I've sold many. I created a lot of my moments for like exclusive moments, like number ones or like something like that. So I still have it. What's your username on top shot? It, it has to be a Kaisa. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's still there. And there were like, Library was one of the guys that was there, always like pinging me yeah, on Discord, it. like, "Hey, dude, let's, let's let's trade." I'm like, "What do you want? Like, which player you want?" I would send it to him. He's like, "Why are you sending me this?" Uh, he he, I think he had a big you know on, on top shots. I I I tend not to sell too often, uh, which in hindsight probably worse. That's just uh, hold uh, the bag, but I I enjoy collecting, so um, it was good to see that. I think top shots brought in a ton of collectors that were not familiar with the space because they didn't resonate with art, but they did resonate with collectibles. So, um, and after that, uh, the things continue to evolve into PFPs and, and now I think it's coming back to art to some degree. Uh, but it's, it's always cool to see how the space evolves. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at your collection. You got, you got some solid S1s. And speaking of which, um, I don't know if you ever collected any packs, but, um, they finally opened up the pack marketplace. So you can now like list and sell your your packs on the secondary, but it's only open to like series one packs for now. But they're like slowly rolling it out for for everything. So that's kind of exciting. Little yeah. top shot news there. Yeah, that is a big deal. Yeah, so we'll yeah. see. One of the things that I that I've learned from this space is that I don't make up my mind too early. 
it takes me a while for me to form judgment like this. I, I find it funny. Some artists that work in code don't like AI uh, related art, and uh, some people love it. And, and I tend to like okay, experiment uh, before I make a decision. And, and one of the things that I've learned in this space is that in a long enough timeline, uh, if there's an argument, both people can be right. Like in the beginning, it may be that one of their one one of their views is like pretty solid. Six months later, it changes. So uh, yeah, I'm always uh, eager to see how things play out. And right now, we're in a stage of the market where PFPs were a boom. Like it was, it was crazy. I think that I wrote a long post on the Akaita account on Twitter or X now, which is another like <laughs> evolution in the space. I wrote something there uh, in terms of, of when I was doing our PFP project for Life of Muga. So Life of Muga is a project that I have with Sigur, a fellow uh, Spanish artist. Uh, and we have the help of Valeria, which is like helping us with strategy. And we have a PFP project ready. We had it ready for a while, but right now I don't know if it's the right time to launch a PFP project. And it's more like, what do we do with it, right? So the PFP project market was when we're looking for like developers, considering developers, they wouldn't ask a single thing about the project. They would ask like, how many do you want to release? This is the price. We get a cut. And that for me was the like the clearest stop signal that I've seen in the longest time where they ask, they ask zero questions about where you're doing. They they do zero research in terms of who you are. It was just like a like a way to pump money into their uh, companies or their setups, which made me pause what we were doing. And we still have it fully modeled. And we sold like a founder's card that essentially was a pre-mint. So we'll see what we do. I have some crazy ideas in terms of how, how to report, reward those people. Uh, but I'm eager to see how PFPs evolve. Because I think the collectible market in 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 a tokenized way i don't think that's gonna go away like that's pretty pretty cool and i and on that post i said once you go from physical to digital it's hard like if you if you go from like physical soccer cards and then you go into like now the digital version people tend to react negatively like they prefer the physical because it's tangible it is it's it's uh paper they 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 want that vulnerability of like holding it wrong or pouring water into it but if you go from digital to physical it's a different mindset because now you have these PFP projects and things you collected collected uh, natively in a digital space, but now you have this next thing, which is like the physical that comes with it. It doesn't have to be a like for like. It can be like with the movies, with the, I think you've seen them, like the toys and stuff like that. It's like, I, I feel yes. like a lot of these artists have, are exploring. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just saying I have to, my sister has one of those. I have to bring that up, but. Yeah, my sister literally has one of those on her bookshelf. The the I don't know what color is that. It's kind of like a pinkish purple. That yeah, so for so the people cool. that are listening, I'm I'm uh, shamelessly showing my toys. So these are this is like black map, and then this one is near doesn't color. That kind of grew up uh, grew on me. Uh, Will Tiger and I like pink, which is kind of weird, but uh, we we like it, and it's a color we used. And but we wanted to do something that was kind of cool. So this, depending on the light, it's three uh, layers of different paint. So the first one is a pur- purple layer. The second one is a gold layer. I want to say the, the the third layer is pink, but depending on how the light is hitting it, you'll get like really gold vibes and stuff like that. So we really like that. And creating those toys was a two-year effort of working with different providers, figuring it out. The weight of the toy was like super important, like the the bottom that it had the Muga signature. Uh, now we know how to make collectibles, but it was it was a tough one for sure. Yeah. Well, congrats on that. And yeah, you guys have the I love what you said too about the digital, the physical, like it is very exciting, you know, when you collect stuff digitally and then all of a sudden there's like a physical version. But yeah, my sister said she's been, you know, following you for like a year now and uh, she was just super supportive of your all your art and everything. And I was like, oh, guess who I have coming on the pod? So um, she was excited. But 
yeah, I, yeah, I was you. like, oh, I, w- I want that. I was like, if you ever don't want that anymore, like, give it to me. <laughs> I just like, well, I, want I, one. I have, I have 900 of those downstairs. Uh, 900, jeez. And we're going to have more. And I cannot tell you more than that, but it's uh, it's about collaboration. It's working with different artists to, to produce uh, physical toys and in different uh, forms and fashions. And everybody we collaborate with has a different idea of what to do. And to me, that's the exciting part. So I went from a kite from schools, from like very uh, in-your-face type of art. And with Zigor, like he's worked with Prada, with Nickelodeon. He's like more like cutesy, like uh, weird monsters that are more on the cute side. Like, And we started to talk like, what can we do together? And what I told them is that I really wanted to do toys. Like that's something that has always been exciting. Uh, explore that. And I wanted to do sculptures. Like whatever we did, I want to incorporate those two. And Zigor is like the easiest going person ever. Like I get manic in the sense that I I look at something, I get an idea and I type like 40 messages in a row. And then he wakes up and he's like, okay. <laughs> it's like, it's very, <laughs> very interesting. Like the dynamic. And sometimes Valeria chimes in and says, oh, this, this makes sense because of this, or this makes sense because of that. But it's, it's been pretty easy working with them. So we wanted to create a project that was that kind of talked about who we are, who we were. So that's what we use a lot of best. Muga means border or frontier. I'm an immigrant in this country. I came from Mexico many years ago. I I went to college here and stuff, and I I realized that speaking English as a second and that's non-native speaker, non-native speaker is like hard sometimes because you're you're smarter in your own language, like in the Eurasian language, and like I feel if I could just have the same cadence and the same uh vocabulary that everybody else has they could really tell who i am so like living as an immigrant in the u.s or anywhere else for that matter is like it's you you live kind of like a double life so how can we so muga means frontier like how do we cross those borders how do there's a lot of uh comments in this space about mental health there's a lot of uh, comments in this space about identity and the whole interpretation of identity so if you look at muga and how how we approach it one the first i think the first minute was that somebody stressing out and he's holding his head and he's looking at mirrors and he ends up like elevating and turning into like a yoga position. And then there's flowers that, that kind of cover the Muga, which is very different from what I would use would do for a, for a kaitsa. So it was, it was an interesting transition. Uh, there was another about identity. So it was somebody that's kind of walking in and uh, in, in a weird stance, but all of a sudden he takes the fur coat. And then I think, I don't know if there's a rainbow on the latest version that we did, or there was like just the feeling of uh, taking off the, the way that the, the Muga has on. Uh, and we made it gender neutral because people identify in different ways with the Muga. And uh, in in originally, would one we wanted to do the reason why there's nothing here in the, in the physical toys because we wanted to work with a children's hospital because we're talking to them and uh, they said one of the biggest contributors to uh, cancer patients and this is children's cancer patients is the toys that they have with them, like it, to to their health. Uh, so the fact that they could draw on them and stuff like that, I still hope that we can do that. Uh, that's something that's super, super appealing to me. But like, that's the reason why there's no design because we wanted the people to draw their own design and children in particular. So it's a feel good project, which was difficult for kites collectors to understand what we wanted to do. But I feel like that's the purpose of the artist that we have different layers. Like, guess what? We like sports too. Guess what? We like uh, other stuff. Like, uh, there's uh, Patrick Amazon is one of the artists that he would message me sometimes. He would say, it's really refreshing to see you talking about sports because for me it's like i'm an artist and people expect it for for me to talk about art but everybody's multi-dimensional it's like yeah i like crypto i like pfp projects i like sports i like other stuff so being able to openly talk about those kind of things in this space especially on twitter is uh it's very framed for me michael these you are yeah no let me chime in i actually want to circle back you were you made some really cool points about physical to digital digital to physical 
what I've seen that's been working, like so with with the digital cards, something like so rare. There, that's what's kind of really been working in the space. Have you seen that gamification stuff? What do you what do you think about that style of uh you know you have your you have the digital cards, but it's not just a digital card solely for collecting. There is gamification to it. Yeah, and they're very smart in the sense that they're they're bringing and retiring collectibles to Fantasy League, and Fantasy League is huge. Like if yeah, I, I had the pleasure to work in 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 Europe and mostly in England for uh, my previous career as a consultant, and um, I would be with customers and Friday afternoon everybody would disappear like for two hours before the first the early kickoff when the Premier League. It was just so. It was the whole company stopping to uh, work on their fantasy league. I, I would say it's similar to football in, in the States, but not, I, I think they take it to the extreme. Like fantasy league is like their life, like it's a big part of their life. And uh, I think Sorare is, is doing something very intelligent by tying collectibles to also the fantasy league component. And, I, and we'll see more examples of that. I personally collect like physical cards. So for the listeners, there's like this a pack of Immaculate Collection for Panini. Which is, I think this box is like, I don't know if it's like $2,000 and it's only like, yeah, it's five very, cards. I know, I'm familiar. It's like yeah, five yeah, cards yeah. or something. That's insane. So, I mean, I bought a few and uh, break it open. You compare the, no, I, it. I, I already have right it open. I, I'm actually, maybe if this was video, let's see what you got. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. I actually, it, I thought it was it, one box that's staring at me right now. It's a 1996 Calcio box for, for the Italian soccer. So I collect like really old, old from 1996 stuff, but because uh, I wanted like a scene of these down from Juventus and stuff like that. But anyways, the, the point I was trying to make there is that if you have something like this with immaculate collections, like the the card stock is really thick and it's like the, yeah the signatures. It's really hard to then get like into the Panini side and get like an instant reward that's a digital card of uh, Erling Haaland from Manchester City that it's signed. I have it in physical form. Like that's really hard to transition. And you you would see it with Panini where they sell out their physicals. But their digital is not as hot. And I feel that that's hard transition unless you do something like Sorare where they're basically building in the Fantasy League component into it. And that attracts a different audience. Shout out to DraftKings Rainmakers too. They're uh, crushing it Been great. in the same, yeah. same kind of way. No doubt. Um, and then go. let's go back to making toys because that's actually really interesting to me as well. And, and you said it's such a long, arduous process. Um who was what? What was what was that like? Who did you work with? I know you have to probably go international for the manufacturing. You did some collabs. It sounded like I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, so making the toys was interesting first because making a thousand toys and uh, with the right specifications is difficult. Uh, taking something from three D to where it's print ready is difficult. Making the molds for these things cost about three thousand dollars. I would say to make a mold of this that ultimately renders like the the thousand toys. So you can use them. It's a metal cast, so you can use it over and over again. But uh, the first part of talking to the right vendor and saying yes or saying no, it was took us forever. Like some people would find us in online, they would say NFTs, and they were starting to propose, like, we want to cut on your NFTs. Like it was weird. The other thing is, like, do you want to go into like what type of painting? Do you want artisan type of painting where people paint them uh, manually and that's expensive? Do you want to do like where it's uh, more vinyl and it's like it's it's just sprayed on? We use car paint in this. Like this is like really high-end car paint, like especially this one. And that was expensive. And it's hard for manufacturers to understand because their whole premise is like who gives you the cheapest uh, uh, price. And we pushed back many times. Like the box itself for us, it's like a really thick cardstock box and it has like an 
engraved letters in, in silver. It was hard for them to understand we wanted to go the expensive route. And, and that was hard. Like we ended up finding the right vendor that ultimately ended up working with a with a provider in Asia that he had good relationships with. And this person was like runs a, a studio of, of, of making toys and, and stuff like that. So it was hard. Like I now I talk to artists that want to make toys and I advise them on how to do it and and I feel like better uh, in, ter- in terms of like making recommendations, stuff like that, because it's not easy. And you, you can put pour a lot of money into it and get like a subpar uh, product. And even with the Mugas that I think came out really well, sometimes I feel like I see a few things that I would rather like change, but it's a learning process. That was, that was, that was interesting. In terms of the collaborations, I think there's been only one collaboration that came out. So the Lacrest is there. Um, I'm actually sending you guys the, um, the drop. So this is... Lagunac, which in Basque means friends. With Basque, what the problem is, is if it's similar to German in the sense that the longer the word, the more complex it becomes. So you have to like keep it like super simple and short. But this is the first drop. That's Lagunac, which is friends. So volume one. So the first one is Brian Brinkman, uh, Van Orn, and De Lucrez. So really good friends, people that I worked with in the past, uh, I think, Bringman, I brought in, I was the first creator on NFT Gateway. This was way before I started uh, working for NFT. And I wanted to bring artists into, into NFT and like really showcase like talent. And Brian was the first one, part, part of that first batch. It was, it was Mankind, the creator of uh, Turbo. It was uh, Brian Bringman. And then it was Ban, which is a, a guy from, from Italy that right now is taking a break. Uh, so I've always sort of like, uh, Circle back with the same uh, artist, Van Orden, which is a really interesting. If you're seeing the the link that I send you, it's like the really colorful one. These guys are massive. Like if you go to their site and you, if you type Van Orden on on Google, you'll see they have collaborations with Mercedes, with Ray Van, with Armani, and they're trying to break break into NFTs and they're very shy. They they don't get into spaces and stuff like that. Insanely talented. And they'll aggress. Everybody knows they'll aggress with his monsters. And he has an incredible Discord and an incredible following. I go to his Discord every once in a while. And he's awesome with his people. So it was the first collaboration. I think we ended up selling like 600 in Tange uh, editions at $99 each. Uh, and price fluctuates. But I knew that Renorm, for example, being an unknown, the price was going to go down. And I have a plan for that. And we had a plan for that since the beginning. So uh, I went for more alpha there, but I was intentional. Like bring two strong artists, bring an emerging artist, and then on in the flip on the flip side on the strategy, surprise those holders. So uh, that's that's the next step. That is awesome. Oh, that sorry, awesome. Michael, you're no, mute. you're good. No, that is awesome. I'm, I'm good now. Yeah, yeah, that Van Norton stuff's really cool. I'm actually on their uh, website. Yeah, they have something a collaboration with Disney Paris, and they're like yeah, insane. Yeah, a lot they, of they real, recently, they, they, the art is super cool though. It's like these vibrant colors, like it's like a Disney Paris with the Hulk, but it's super cool. I like that. I'm yeah, glad they I came across that. They, they're ridiculous, like in terms of talent, and we're doing something really cool with them that I'm really excited about. Uh, and with all these artists, like the the first question we asked, like, what do you want to do next? Like, this is the collaboration. You see the. These collaborations have a great background, which is intentional because we could have done any color. We could have done a lot of lights, but really what needs to stand out is a collaboration. Like in, for us, it's like, it's like a, almost like a statement that like, this is the first, this is a starting point. Like what we do next with the artists is up to the artists with each of them. We're doing different things. Uh, and that's what, what excites me. It's like, okay, we can collaborate. We can do 3D. We can put you in, in a good light and, and sell an addition. But really what's appealing to me is like, 
what can you come up with next and how, how can we make it happen? That's, that's like super, super exciting. Uh, and that's what we're doing right now. Uh, when did you, when did you get with Nifty? When did you start working with Nifty Gateway? I think it just came up uh, to my two year anniversary, like two weeks ago or something like that. Uh, I was, um, I was in corporate strategy in, in Silicon Valley. I had a pretty nice career um, as a former technical person in, that moved into strategy. I was into AI. I was doing patents in AI. Before I left that company, I left them a few patents on on how to do federated blockchains, like how to take uh, something that was non-blockchain and how to use blockchains to interchange uh, community, uh, sorry, uh, data and, and stuff like that for their own purposes. Uh, in a way where you can control and there's no leakage of data, like especially when you have medical records and stuff like that. Like I, I put like a few use cases. I think I ended up creating like eight patent applications for them to say, if you ever want to go this route, this is what you can do. But honestly, I was I, I was in a safe space. I could have retired there. Good salary. It was boring as heck. Like I, I couldn't do it anymore. Like it, it was, <laughs> I remember one meeting where I'm like looking around, everybody's middle-aged, everybody's coasting. And I'm like, I... This is it. Like this is when I made my decision to, and the, at this moment, I make my decision to not work here anymore. The company was great, support was great. I just couldn't do it. I always need like something that's constantly changing or challenging me in order for it to be to feel alive. So uh, that's when I transitioned. I, I met Duncan through the podcast, uh, and Griffin, obviously as well. But I kept talking to Duncan in terms of like how they were doing uh, the early days of Nifty Gateway, and. COVID happened. Everything was was uh, on site in New York, so there was no reason for me to move to New York. And then all of a sudden, there's an opportunity to do it remotely. So I joined. Then immediately, I would get like messages from artists saying, "Oh, you you sold your soul to the dark side." And I, I was like, "No, not really." Because um, one of the things that I've done with with Nifty is you don't hear about me often. I I don't post a lot about Nifty, but I do take part in the curation process. I do take part in vetting the artists. I do take part in bringing artists that. Maybe are not as hot, but they they were OGs in the space, or maybe they have a lot of technical talent, but they're not as 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 uh, good at communicating or showing their their vision to the public and connecting with people. And that's something that for the last two years I've been doing with my team. I have a really good team. There's really good people at Nifty, and I would say the same happens for every platform. Like it, I, I see a lot of comments about platforms and marketplaces being evil. I don't know, like I. Based on the people that I talk to on a daily basis, they want to see you succeed as an artist or as a collector. Um, so I feel like I needed to join that uh, this space in, in, in a curatorial uh, manner, and I and I think I've done a good job at least separating my my image or myself from being at the force of decision making, which is which is obviously something that I want to avoid. And you mentioned Duncan um, and Griffin, and those are the founders of Nifty Gateway, which they're actually twins. Fun fact, I'm also a twin. An even more fun fact is um, Gemini, the crypto exchange, owns Nifty Gateway and and Gemini is owned by twins, the Winklevoss twins. So yeah, it's kind of scary, right? I always knew that you looked too, too, too similar to your sister. So I knew there was something <laughs> going on there. Yeah, they're twins. They're all twins. So that was like a and they're all the the, the Winkleby or the Winkleboss twins, and then in in uh, Duncan and Griffin, they're the same height too, which is weird. Like, oh my uh, gosh! I think they're six three, six four. So you you look up as you walk into. Them. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, yeah. So and that was in 2019. I was going to ask you kind of joined after that. So, um, but are are Duncan and Griffin still like very much involved in Nifty Gateway or? 
they kind of like... So they're- so when, when they announced they were leaving, and I knew they were going to leave because I had a early conversations with, with Duncan from um, two years prior in terms of like everybody signed like agreements and like potential exit routes and stuff like that. So like, I knew that eventually they would leave because this was not their end result. They, they see themselves as creators and they always have like really cool ideas. So I think through the, before they was announced for the first, for the last six months of their tenure within Nifty, I think they were like like slowly like stepping back and still from from a directional perspective they would they would call you out they would say how about you need to do this you need to do this and that and, and i would agree or disagree and we would make changes and we, we would adjust to the to the market but they were still involved and, and still nowadays like there's occasional communications and they you would see them tweet about nifty and it's really cool to see that uh because they're there's even though it's they're, they're not part of nifty they really believe in what what we ended up creating and what they ended up creating uh, so they're still involved. And I talked to mostly Duncan from time to time. I text uh, really quick uh, text messages. I know they're building their their next uh, venture, uh, which they already started. I, think, I don't know if they announced it or not, but uh, they're busy. So we uh, we keep it to like really quick messages. What is, to make what sure is that, it? What's the next uh, venture? I don't know. I don't know if, I mean, I obviously know. I don't, I don't know if they they already announced it or not. So uh, they're it's not, not listening. Not, there, it's not it's not it's not crypto related for sure um oh interesting it's not crypto related it's mm. not crypto related but i i would i would be surprised if they don't do more than one company because they i mean they have a lot of ideas like it's some some of them are great some of them are not they need to be refined but they they they're serial thinkers and they read a lot like especially griffin reads a lot of books like he's always making recommendations of, of new books and new things that he's exposed to and, and travel also gives you a lot of ideas. So I'd be surprised if they, they don't, I don't know if they pivot, but at least they don't start like multiple uh, opportunities. I just know one that they're working on right now. That makes sense. Um, do you get involved with Starbucks Odyssey at all? No, there's a dedicated team for that. Um, and I'm not sure what I can say or I cannot say with that, but obviously, you know, they're in our marketplace. Um, mm-hmm. It was an interesting, what 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 I can say is like, it was it was really refreshing to see a company coming in and, and having a really specific vision in terms of what they wanted to do. Yeah, and there's there's a whole team with Nifty that 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 covers uh, or has coverage for that project, and it's, I mean the the possibilities are endless in terms of like loyalty programs, and uh, I would I would be surprised if the not a lot of if not a lot of big companies come in and kind of replicate the same stuff. That's definitely going to happen. Loyalty programs is uh, a really great use case of the blockchain. I know there are companies that are that are coming and building and, and all that stuff for sure. Yeah. I like what yeah. they do. I've been following them since the beginning. Um, definitely found it interesting. They chose Nifty Gateway and I've been following it and go in there and they did it. What's it called? They uh, dropped this week, sold like 5,000 NFTs uh, open edition. Yeah. I think today or yesterday or something like that. Like I said, I'm not as yeah. involved, but I definitely yeah, see yeah. what's happening. Um, and it's, it's an interesting use case. Like it, with technology, what happens is that it always starts with something fun or relatable. Like the internet, I don't know if you guys existed when the internet kind of like started to proliferate. No, I'm, meaning I'm, that too it started... to, I'm too young to remember. Jenny remembers though. So I, yes. I, I, I was, I was, a, I was a kid, but like I, I was part of when the internet would reach two or three houses. And obviously, I was living in Mexico, so I don't know in the states if it was uh, ubiquitous at that point. But I don't think so. But I remember when I was young i would i would ask people and like who here in my class has internet and there were like two or three people that would raise their hand and then fast forward to high school and everybody had internet like it was grew quickly but early days of, of the internet it was 
email, like email, sending email or sending mail to somebody else was like the thing. And later it was like news and everybody would go into like a really pixelated version of uh, the Yahoo or whatever. And people would hang out on the homepage, not knowing what to do. Like when I first went into the internet, the first thing that it is like, I want to see pictures of my hero player, which is Sina de Incidan at Juventus. Because back then in Mexico, you, you would get like a world soccer, like 20, 20, like a second episode of like world soccer. And you would see something in Italy, something in Spain, something like uh, that happened in, in another country. And that was it. Like in, then cable was, was, was probably in Mexico's cable took a lot longer in Mexico than it took here to kind of like reach every home. And now you could see like games from everywhere. So I was used to like the Mexican soccer league and some like amateurage league in, in the US before the MLS started. And then you would see Manchester United playing or Italian teams playing. They were like, whoa, this is ridiculous. Um, but going back in terms of like technology and stuff like that, the same thing is happening happening with NFTs. Like art was a very smart play. I think it was it would fare it out better than the internet in terms of like an application because it solves a lot of the issues of dealing with galleries, taking 50% of the profit. Um, an artist has a really tough time selling traditional art because it's the the milestone you have to reach to even hit it somewhere is like incredibly hard. And if you think that NFTs are like manipulated by four or five influencers and traditional art is a lot worse than that. Like to make it, you have to pay gigs. So democratizing art for me was like a really spot on way of, of using uh, smart contract technology. But smart contracts are containers. Like you could really put everything in there as long as there's like conditions to be met. Uh, you can use it for. I mean, actually, everybody talks about real estate, but there, there's like multiple applications that you can optimize. Signing contracts. Uh, there, there's a ton of things that you can do. And now I, I would think that it'll stay. Art will stay relevant in NFTs, but I, I see multiple applications coming out that will solve real world problems that we're now struggling with, and we just have no idea that there's a better way to do it. Yeah. Um. Sweet. Well. Okay. So I have one more question, and then we'll see if Michael has any more, and then we will uh, close it off with our gas war segment. But okay. So you're also chief partner and market strategy at Whale, and I'm, which I feel like all the OGs like know about Whale. Like, and I'm curious if you know Rudeness. Yeah, of course. She's awesome. <laughs> yes, we had her on the pod. I don't know, one to two years ago. At some point, we had her on. Um, but yeah, she, she, she's the only reason I really knew about whale at first. And then, you know, I kind of started learning more about it, but she was really big in top shot crypto kitties, all that. Well, um, well what is whale? You guys are being like secretive now. So what's this like the Illuminati? What is <laughs> no. so, so well, well, it's a, well, it's a token. And it was one of the first tokens that was really about community. I mean, it was created by whale shark, which is a personal friend of mine that I actually haven't talked to in, in, in a few months now. I hope he's doing okay. He's always traveling and doing a bunch of stuff. But uh, he had this idea of leveraging uh, community. And obviously, everybody knew him uh, uh, for collecting. I think he is one of the biggest NFT collections. And he's a true well. Like, in, like everybody fakes to be a well. This guy is like it, right? Um, so we have Jimmy, uh, founder of Avastars, and he has multiple projects. Waltrick and I are good friends. So we started talking, and Waltrick had this idea. And when he was just rambling about it and he was like manic about what he wanted to do. So I guess that's what we're friends. Cause I get into the same type of episodes of like, Oh my God, I have this breakthrough that I had to share with everybody. Um, and next day we were partners. Like he announced that we were like launch partners with him. Jimmy and I were, and there were a few others and I just played with it. And it was really cool to see. Obviously there's a try role came out with very similar setup in terms of like uh, artist tokens and stuff like that. And, 
right now it's like one of those uh, Discord that's really lively in the, during interviews and stuff like that. So I, I still participate from a support perspective. So one of the things that I do at Well is every Friday we post to holders a list of news that happened in this space. And we ended up doing like an FT uh, fear and grief calculator. And there's Frank and there's song that, that, that kind of report to me. And then these guys are like incredible in terms of analytics, in terms of forecasting, in terms of using models to uh, Frank is an economist. So he's like really trying to understand how the market's going to move. And that's my contribution. Like every Friday post news, talk to these guys once a week. Uh, see if there's an opportunity for us to post something, and that's all I do. So there's uh, that's what I contribute to, even though uh, I'm not as active. That's what I do every Friday. I post some uh, NFT news, and sometimes they resonate with what other sites are doing. Sometimes it's just like stuff that Song uh, Frank and I pick up from from online, and we just start gathering and we just post it. I found it interesting how you said you curate uh, the different artists and you try and find kind of some diamonds in the rough and i actually one of the questions i like to ask at the end is for our guests to shout out some artists that they think deserve some love and i like to be introduced to new artists and all that stuff so if you have a couple two or three whatever that you think people should know about well we talk about one already which is van orden i think these guys are like ridiculous like honestly from a technical perspective as an illustrator when i saw what they were doing i'm like I cannot call myself an illustrator. These guys are like really, really good. Uh, there's another Italian guy, Canela, which is like uh, a friend of their of them that does did a lot of like work for the MBA. So a lot of like the probably early works from the MBA in terms of illustrations and stuff like that came from him. Uh, super shy guy. Um, he's also a nifty. He, he doesn't release as often, but his name is Canada. K A K A N E D A. He's he's really good. Tomorrow we have on FD, not a commercial, but I think she's she's like super talented. Ika Mels, I think she's going to release tomorrow. I'm actually, I coded her drop page and everything. Ika, I, we know Ika from uh, she's in the Ghost Club with Mumba. We had she was on the podcast. She's Jenny, awesome, you weren't so. you weren't here for that one, but yeah, no, Ika is great um, for sure. Yeah, so there, there's many. Stefan Grosse Halber, which is another, uh, he does some really cool art. He was recently on FD as well. There's like a ton of really talented people. Like, and it was, we were early into NFTs, and I would say that we were we're past that like makers uh, fair type of artist, which is like with myself there, which are the experimentalists, people that are really trying something without being experts. And there was a wave of really talented people that came to the space that were doing all through commercial work, and it was it's interesting to see these people that are have a really good. Uh, set of tools, but then once they transition from commercial to their own design or their own style, they don't have a, a known a known style, so they struggle to make it into NFTs, even though they're incredibly talented. So that was an interesting bit to see, and and the ones that were able to adapt and create their own brand within NFTs made it big. Some of them just went back to uh, to commercial art, and it was interesting also to see like the brands they were working with, like they were working with uh, the biggest brands ever, like in fashion in terms of everything. Then you would ask them, like, how much did you make out of as an artist? You can have those questions. And they would tell you, oh, that's, that was a $2,000 project or $3,000 project. So that's why I'm in NFTs. Like, if I made it, make it big, I can sell for a lot more. So that was interesting to see. And now in the bear markets is when you see a lot of really rough talent that are undiscovered by the whales. And that's where you can uh, really capitalize if you're looking for that return, like financial return. If you're there for just collecting and then and having something that you like, then it's also the perfect time to do that because there, there's a lot of uh, 
diamonds in the rough there. But uh, I would say Van Orden is by far my favorite uh, that hasn't uh, broken out. And, and I sure hope that that happens. So yeah, that's my recommendation. How do you uh, spot art that you think is like, how do you, what do you look at, look for, for town? Is it what you like, or are there some kind of metrics you're looking at that, you know, people will like? Yeah. It's, it's an interesting question because it's, I mean, after you do this for two years, every day, you, you start, it's like flexing muscle. You're like really good at it. And and you have to trust your gut. Like there's artists that come in recommended by other artists. And you're like, this is not it. Like even, even if I like you as a person, it's just not cutting it for me. And, and we have a pretty good sense of that. The other thing is like, it's, I'm not the decision maker. It's like a f- group of people that ultimately make the decision and, and I get voted out all the time. Like it's in, that's the healthy thing to do. Cause if you look at my, my DMs are closed. If you look at my Instagram DMs are closed and it's because it, I, it was just hard to, to really function as a human being. The other thing is you get spammed by many people trying to get in. And sometimes it's really hard to say to somebody that they're not there yet. And it's hard for them to understand they're not there yet. And after a few months, they're like, you, you were right. Like, what do I need to do to go, to get into NFT or any platform whatsoever? And it, those are really hard conversations. And you need to think of the people that reject you are human also. Like if you start, there's that dark side of, of, of communication where like they start abusing, they start saying nasty stuff and you're the asshole, right? Because you didn't accept them. So it's a tricky one, but um, yeah, you have a muscle, uh, you train your muscle and you're like, you know, what's going to hit it big. The other thing is like, I'm an artist myself. So if it's a 3D artist, that medium is very familiar with me. Like I have illustration also, I'm very familiar with that. So from a technical perspective, I can tell you what's good versus not, regardless if it's going to be uh, hidden in the space. So if you're an artist and you're doing curation, it also helps you to do that. For example, photography, it's a medium that I've never been able to I mean, I know when a good uh, photographs uh, in front of me, but I'm not able to tell you what's good to great or what cuts it from Instagram to like sort of like more uh, art focus. So we have experts in that that can make those calls. Right. So basically, that's what we do. But we we have a curatorial call. We present anybody that hit us up, anybody that we find in the space, and you'll see it from time to time. Where like all the artists were on Nifty now are on Super. Then all the artists mm-hmm. are on Super. They're on Place Night. That's okay because the artists themselves reach out to other uh, platforms by saying, "I'm not now on Super. Can I get on Netflix?" So no, those harder conversations. Yeah, now. yeah. And uh, one last one. I know we were pushing, but this this got pretty interesting. And in uh, so as long as you're not have a hard stop at uh, ten thirty here, well, Eastern, if you know, right. seven thirty if you cool. So for the art and for the curation, how much? does the team talk about like is it just the art the art for itself or how much does the person and the person's story come into it and even for you like because i i tend to think that uh the people that everybody likes those are the ones whose art a lot of times also they like not everybody like there are the outliers but how do you see that fitting in how much does that play a part it's it's a package, right? Uh, obviously, early days of NFT, you saw Fibocious, like very charismatic people would connect with Fibocious, even before seeing their, uh, their art, right? It was like really evident that they had charisma. You have the opposite with Pac, where Pac doesn't talk. Like even on meetings, uh, he uses a voice emulator and sometimes it's talking like a female, sometimes like a demon. And so he never shares, like he's obviously sharing a lot of stuff on Twitter. So you have that that uh, very polarizing of people that are they're, they're, uh, influencers that become artists. There's artists that are 
that know how to function in social media. I'm not one of them. I suck at social media. Uh, and then you have the artists that don't want to do anything uh, social and they struggle, like Ben Orton and a few others that English is not their native language. So to answer your question, it's it's a package. It all comes together. Honestly, we're at a point where we care about the art and we care about like being able to set the artist to that next level. Like, okay, now you're launching an FT. What is the next step for you? So and those are good conversations. Obviously, we're a business and we think financial about financial returns and stuff like that. But for the most part, the team that I that I have is mostly trying to figure out can we add value to this artist's career or not. And, and that's also part of the maturation, uh, the maturity of the space in terms of first it was helping the indie artists. Then it was like the boom of making money. Like how can we be the top marketplace? And I feel like right now. A lot of the people are in the space in the marketplace is like, how can we help these artists like reach the next level? And that that's a very cool thing to see. Love it, man. Good stuff. Sweet. All right. So let's get into our gas for segment. This is our rapid fire question segment where we ask five questions each that may or may not have to do with NFTs. And I will go first. This is my only NFT question, but when is the next bull run? So a lot of what I do is it's rapid fire. So I'm not cannot go into the monologue, but I, I do a lot of like analysis of uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum returns on a monthly basis uh, and a quarterly basis to kind of track uh, trends. So October would have been a big month. So let's see what happens in October. November and December are always a coin flip. January, February, and March are strong, and then it falls because of tax season. There's a lot of the collectors in the US are are US based. This October is interesting because a lot of people, especially in California, are paying taxes in, in six days. Uh, so for those that are listening to the recording, sooner than that. Um, so that throws a, a wrench into the into the into the, in, into the equation. A lot of the people that I talk to that are really forecasting, they say 2024 is going to be flat. I feel like 2024, the first three months are going to be pretty strong. And then it's a coin flip after people pay taxes and we'll see. Interesting. Okay. What is your favorite city in the world? Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, Johannesburg, South Africa was awesome. Like the being close to nature. Like, yep. It was it was awesome. It's a bit unsafe. Food is great. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Australia. I spent a, time, a lot of time in England and Europe. So I have a affinity to those places. Obviously, Spain to me kicks ass. Portugal, if I moved to Europe, because of, not only because of tax reasons, uh, the south of Portugal is awesome. Very California. Like if you could go to Cascais or Estoril, really cool places to to for living. I don't know for business, but for living there, it's just an easy life and it's really cool. Beautiful. Um, what was your first job that you ever had? I was a pizza delivery driver for for Papa John's in Texas. Hey, I'm from Texas. Let's go. Uh, who was the biggest inspiration in your life? Oh man, I don't know. Like it's the different aspects and it's never like a full person for like it's whole, uh, there's always like aspects of different people. Like for, for example, I mentioned seeing the Zinan, that guy was incredible in terms of like being smart and the movement of the game, but that was soccer. Like it's, I, I cannot say seeing the Zinan is my, my, I don't know, my favorite person or the person that I look up to for soccer. So there's many, like if you see the, the Vasquez and everybody likes, and you see the Keith Herring that I love. These, these guys were visionaries. These guys were doing, like everybody now recreates a basket, which is kind of like weird. But uh, definitely those artists were were really ahead of their game. Um, and I try to pay homage to them. But uh, yeah, there's there's many influences there for sure. Nice. Very cool. What is your favorite fruit? Has to be, if avocado is a fruit, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, probably watermelon. <laughs> like watermelon and mangoes. Mangoes are like, 
really messy, but I really like them. That is true. That is true. Uh, what's the best concert you've ever been to? I don't remember. Let's see. Making them think. I want to say the the one that I uh, enjoy the most was it Pink Floyd? I can't remember. I, I I was I used to live in Austin, so I went to the all the ACLs, and it's really hard to choose. Muse was really cool. Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam, probably Pearl Jam was like ridiculous. Like a Pearl Jam older, is pretty ridiculous with everybody singing yeah. the songs and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, what is one of your pet peeves? Let's say being a perfectionist. Like, and when I'm doing my art, it's like it's never finished. It's like always, like I could improve, and I see it later. I'm like, oh my god, why did I? Why did I mean this? Like, it's so that's always like the the issue. The other thing I would say, and this is more like a like a like a work interview question, like. Allowing other people to do my stuff, like I'm very particular about things. Like the the Muga thing, like I send those Mugas physically, like the the toys, because I want to control the packaging. I want to control the experience because I know that I'm going to do it well. And like relying on other people to do it, like it's is it's hard for me. We're gonna do something really fun, but I part of it is also me being uh, being doing the packaging and stuff. So I, I think that's one of them. Like relying on other people and trusting them we're gonna do a good job. Because I especially when it comes to like a product, I want to make sure that it's, it looks good. Uh what is the most underrated NFT collection? A lot of the early like on-chain stuff, like Avastro was one, not because I hold a ton of them, but it, because I thought I thought it was they, they were doing a really good job. I would say that the artistic component, like the, the how things look will be less relevant in the, in the next few years. Uh, people will look at these early projects and they'll be real. So that's one of the reasons why I hold them. Obviously, all the generative art is like really amazing. Like aside from the like the financial uh, opportunity, I remember talking to Snowfro Eric back then uh, when it was he was making squiggles. I think I minted about twenty six of them, and it was just to help somebody. So uh, every like first generation of a project in in their specific field, I feel like they're going to be severely under underrated, and people are going to. If they're looking for a financial uh, reward later down the line, and I don't know if it's two years, if it's five years or further out, um, they're going to be highly collected. Okay, last question for me is, what is a book that changed your life? I'm not going to say Think and Grow Rich because I think it's... Um, I read that too. I, 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 read, um, I read a lot of books uh, and I listen to a lot of books. Like I, It's probably about five or six books per per month. That I'm in, to some capacity Her reading month? or listening Damn. to. Damn. Yeah, so I'm, I'm. I kill That's myself by plus work, plus Muga, plus the kite sites. I always like burn myself out. The one that I'm listening to right now, it's probably not the best, but like the one I'm listening to right now, it's called "Contagious" by Jonah Berger. If you don't want to, li- so he's a he's a Warden School professor in terms of like he's teaching about how to turn into viral, like how to turn into like a product that people resonate with. You don't listen to the audiobook or the read the book in its, in its entirety. Listen to chapter one. It talks about social currency and how to a project that is successful is because the social currency component is strong. And it talks about uniqueness. It talks about making people feel part of a project. It talks about uh, the gamification and leverage gamification. So listen to that. Uh, it, it will if, even if it's only like the first chapter. It will teach you a lot about why the projects and NFTs are successful. And most of the projects that are successful have those three components of social things. Love that. I want to get that book from you in a second, because I definitely want to check that, at least that first chapter out. That sounds really interesting. But my final question is not quite as intellectual. What is your guilty pleasure junk food? Oh, man. I feel like that's like, I do that every day. I don't know. Um, (laughs) 
Pizza has to be it. Like if pizza is one of those things that it's like when yeah. you're lazy, you just order pizza. I struggle with pizza here in Southern California because I was really pampered in San Francisco. We had really good pizza. So now I'm ordering from Gold Belly, bringing it from New York and Chicago. And it's like that that's oh, wow. helping. Uh, thankfully, it's it's not often. But I feel like pizza is the comfort food that everybody goes into like whenever they don't have time or they just want to uh, just uh, relax for a bit, I guess. Nice. And what was that book again? Remind me the book. Brawls. Yeah, it's called Contag- Contagious by Jonah Berger. Um, it's it's a it's a in a, an orange book, and I think I was trying to see if yep, I can. I got it. Yep. It's like a light bulb with like a dandelion or something like that. So if you're trying to create a project yeah. like, that catches on, and it helps like in every industry, but the first chapter about social currency, I would recommend the audiobook because I feel like there's something when you walk. And you're like thinking, like it, I always go on walks and that's what gives me clarity. People in these rooms, I, I walk, everybody does their own thing. Uh, but listen to it walking, especially that first chapter, you're going to learn a lot about how to make a project that people resonate with. And I think that's super interesting. I love that. I love that. Um, it's applicable to me. So I definitely want to check that out. Is there free audiobooks these days? Or you have to buy, I've never done audiobook, but. I know, I've never um, done so audio what, I do Audible. I, I can't even tell you how much they 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 um. Yeah, it's like ten bucks a they, month or something, or something like that. But what changed the game for me for Audible is that now there's like books that are part of their like free version or whatever. So that's like I uh, I finish yeah. a book fairly quickly. So I'm always like four or five books into like right now. I'm listening to Contagious, listening to Chaos, which is a book about uh the Manson murders and stuff like that. Uh, Ministry yeah, of the I, Future, which is really boring. Tanag, which is like the coach of Manchester United. I went to listen to more about him. Outlive, which is by Peter Atia. And it's how do you basically change how you live longer based on the most recent studies on on um, what to take and what to do and stuff like that. The Creative Act by Rick Rubin. And this is what I'm listening to right now. Like I, I, I go back and forth between the different books. And to me, that's what made Audible uh, an option. The fact that you can go from the paid or pay more if you want, if you finish, but you also get access to free books, which is really cool. Cool. That is really cool. How, what speed do you listen on? Uh, 1.25 or 1.5. Okay. All right. Nice. Love it. What a good conversation, man. This was fun hanging out and uh, chatting up. You have a wealth of knowledge. You know a lot of people. You've been in it for a long time. I love it. It's good to make the connection. No, my pleasure. Whenever you guys want to talk, like even if it's not on a podcast episode, always available i always like to chat to different people i'm always yeah. in meetings and stuff like that but i ping me and we can chat yeah appreciate it yeah thank you so much uh yeah we really appreciate you coming on the show hopefully everybody enjoyed this episode and we will catch you in the next one peace thank you for tuning in to the nft catcher podcast we hope you enjoyed today's episode and learned something new about the exciting world of nfts If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you really love what you're hearing, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite platform. If you want to stay up to date with the latest news and insights from the NFT space, be sure to follow us on all the socials at NFT Catcher Pod. You can follow Jennifer at Jennifer underscore pseudo and Michael at NF Ticket. I'm your producer, Andy, and I'm at AJC254. Our theme songs by It's Just Loose. We always appreciate your feedback and support, which helps us reach more people and bring you informative and engaging content about NFTs. We look forward to bringing you more great NFT content in future episodes. Thanks for listening. Peace.